0: We're going to talk about the brain today. So today, what I would like to speak about is in direct correlation with changing our brain. And we know that, as we discussed before, what holds us back is partly our brain's connection with the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex, and When we're more amygdala dominant, we have more of a childlike behavior. And that childlike behavior is very highly influenced by emotion. And when our emotions run rampant, then we're kind of left to the dust when we want to change. So this is very important to talk about before we talk about exactly how to change. We need to prime that change, just like we did in the episode before. We had primed that change with the previous episode by looking into our future and preparing ourselves. We also looked into our present and decided what habits we needed to take away or to change. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, please go back and check them out. But again, today we're going to talk about changing the brain. Okay, So first off, we need to look at kind of how that neurochemistry broke down. And again, we mentioned that the amygdala dominance was something we're trying to get rid of. We need to start balancing that teeter-totter more towards a balanced center. Of course, we need the amygdala, and the amygdala is very important, but... When it's overactive, that's when we get into trouble. And oftentimes we see ourselves with overactive amygdalas. So we need to find out how exactly we're gonna start changing our brain. And I'm gonna give you a couple steps here. Um, The most basic and fundamental one I can just offer right away is the breath. And I mentioned previously, we talked about the breath. The breath is one of those things that we kind of take for granted. Again, it's a habit, right? We already breathe, we naturally inhale and exhale. These are things that we naturally do. But as you just saw right there, I can change the pace of my inhale and exhale. And you can too. Now, the important part about all this is realizing why we're doing this. And one of the biggest things we talked about that chronic stress was a major, major disaster to break down your overall success. It's going to inhibit the ability for our prefrontal cortex to operate properly, and it's going to maximize our amygdala's dominance. So stress control is one of the most important things in our journey. And when we look in the breath, the breath has a very, very interesting way to tap into your body's ability to calm down. Now, most of us know meditation is important and very healthy for us. But if you don't know, meditation is just really focusing on yourself. And how we can do that in real life is just by practicing breathing. I'm going to teach you to breathe properly first. What I want you to imagine is an accordion. That accordion obviously is something you can expand and collapse. That accordion model should be implemented to your abdomen. The abdomen should be expanding as you breathe in, and it should be collapsing as you breathe out. This is going to cause intra-abdominal pressure that is going to facilitate not only digestion, but... You're parasympathetic because as we know, digestion correlates with the parasympathetic, which is rest and digest and parasympathetic. If you're not familiar, is basically our ability to calm down and relax. So by stimulating that abdominal cavity, we're actually targeting the vagal nerve vagal nerve plays a huge instrumental part in regulating our hormonal system, as well as regulating just our blood pressure and those kind of things. We don't really think about it's our automatic nerve, right? So the breath work I want you to think about, as again, we displayed in the accordion model, breathing in and breathing out. And you'll notice that my inhale was actually shorter than my exhale. I like to play a game here. And the game I like to play is trying to make that inhale half the exhale. And again, we're not trying to suffocate ourselves. So we want to take a full inhalation. But most people don't really realize how important that exhalation is. We want to make sure we get the full exhale out. Almost like you're doing yoga. If you've ever done yoga, you realize that you're in positions that are pretty tough to handle. But the breath work is what allows you to take yourself from that uncomfort to comfort in that same position. So... By focusing on getting our breath fully exhaled, we collapse that abdominal cavity completely. You should feel a slight core activation from that. That core activation is coming from your transverse abdominis, the very deep internal muscle. But we need to be practicing breathing very frequently. Um, I like to actually think about this as anytime we're stressed, this is a very quick implement you can think of. Just close your eyes, take four big breaths. It should take 30 seconds and you're gonna realize how much better you feel. So I would actually suggest pausing this episode right here. Pause it, implement this right now, right this second. Pause, come back here in 30 seconds after you've just done the breath work and let's see how you feel. I'm gonna give you a little time to pause. Hopefully you did that (laughs) because if not, this conversation is gonna be funny and kind of weird because we're going straight into the next one. So again, the breath work, hopefully you did it and I hope you realize how impactful it is just in a simple 30 seconds of four large breaths, getting full inhales and full exhales through our belly, not our chest. The chest breathing is so erratic these days because people are so stressed. So please try and be patient and breathe through your belly. It's going to take some practice. If you need some practice, there's obviously some ways to do this to help you. One very easy way to train yourself to breathe through your belly is to lay on your stomach and have a pillow underneath of your belly. Allow that pillow to, again apply pressure to your abdominal cavity just right around the belly button. That pressure is going to be a feedback system for you to realize where the pressure of your breath is going. And that should be able to kind of teach you from the baseline. And then from there, you're going to actually implement that into a regular standing position with no feedback. Because I want to be able to use this technique wherever we can. And when we really should think about this is we should really be doing this very frequently. This shouldn't be just done when we're stressed. It should be done as a daily practice. So try and treat that as such. Very easy to get ourselves caught up in you know what we're doing and how we're doing. But if we can make this a daily practice, everything else becomes kind of mellow and simple and easy. Next, going right along with that mellow, simple, and easy is walking. And believe it or not, walking is, should be your best friend here. I know we always hear all the time that, You know, you should get extra steps, you know, track your steps, get as many as you can. Um, You know, you hear things like take the stairs, you know, um, skip the elevator, all this kind of stuff, park farther away. You hear this stuff a lot. Um, There's a lot of validity and truth to this because just walking alone gives us time to disconnect, number one, right? We're not being thrown from task to task to task to task. We get a little time to separate ourselves from those tasks, which is, in my opinion, the most important part because we get time to have self-reflection. And that self-reflection offers us a chance to just kind of review what our decisions are in the next following moments. But also on top of that, there's less inflammation in your body, there's better blood sugar control, there's higher serotonin levels, which means better memory and mood. And you might even think about this. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're walking, it's actually a little bit easier to get into the podcast and to remind yourself about what we should do and to take the information and absorb it. Um, activation of our brain activity when we're walking is different than when we're sitting. So a really good time to have a problem solved is while you're walking. You can easily take that walk, make it slow and just think about things. Walking takes our state of mind out of a negative into a positive. So this is one easy hack. If you find yourself constantly dreaded with the negativity thoughts this is an easy way to kind of hack that and go straight to a little bit better mindset just by walking thinking about something that is positive and the serotonin increase should reframe your mind relatively soon so walk as often as possible i'm not saying you should speed walk or crazy walk or be out in the freezing cold or or extreme hot but We really should take the chance to walk as much as we can because walking is allowing ourselves to disconnect from the task to task to task and allowing us to get that break in between and also increasing levels of a hormone that we know is going to, I'm sorry, not hormone, neurotransmitter that is going to translate to better hormones. Thank you. So after we walk, we get that consistent practice. Again, these are again, tips to help your brain walking and breathing. Next is getting into nature. And I don't mean just strictly getting into nature like you have to program a hike or anything like that. But nature is everywhere. It's all around us. And one of the main things we think about when we think about nature is the sun. The sun produces a vital, vital piece of information to us. And that is our circadian rhythm, number one, which helps us wake and go to sleep when the sun's up or down. And number two, it is our vitamin D production. We have our own vitamin D available to be made but only in the presence of sun and all too often our vitamin d levels are low in today's society we see almost 70 percent or more have low vitamin d and that's due to being locked in buildings working all that kind of stuff there's a lot of things that have to do with that another thing that nature is going to do is provide you with a chance to increase your immune function and also decrease your adrenaline or noradrenaline. Those are two things that are involved in a sympathetic response, and your stress response. There was a study that was done that had concluded that after three days, just three days of being in nature alone, produced significant impacts in the natural killer cells, which are our immune function, and also decreased the amount of adrenaline, and noradrenaline. So. Again, this was done in a study where they had taken people out just for three days and exclusively put them in nature. And they had, obviously, all amenities, so they weren't really stressed out. They weren't, like, trapped. But um, it does prove a point that getting out and just detaching from our na- nature's ability to kind of allow us to detach, in fact, but detaching from the day-to-day things that we're doing and just getting out and breathing and seeing the real life that the world has created, not this industrialized capitalized crazy world we're living in now. But back to our roots, you know, this is super important. So my big, biggest suggestion here is get sunlight first thing in the morning, try and put plants around anywhere you can. Sarah, I know you'll appreciate that. Sarah's one of my clients, and uh, she's a crazy plant lady who gives and takes plants and all that kind of stuff. Um, so she'll appreciate that. But uh, maybe even eat outside. And obviously when you walk, try and walk outside as much as possible. Those would be some easy tips to get some nature in without necessarily needing to force it. Again, I would recommend if you could, every weekend, try and at least get you know a hike in or something like that, especially if you live around the Colorado Springs area. we got an amazing, amazing setup to do that. Next is sleep. So we kind of mentioned already with the sunlight how it influences the circadian rhythm. And the circadian rhythm obviously is a crucial element for our sleep. We need to have the ability to know when it's light out and when it's dark out. And those have very high correlations to when our body should be sleeping. Now, again, obviously when the winter comes, the sun goes down sooner and the summer comes and the sun goes down later. But in general, we should be getting sleep timing around these overall windows of sunlight so when the sunlight's out we should be awake obviously when the sunlight's gone they shouldn't be awake the increase of melatonin production happens as the sun goes down and one of our body's signals to create melatonin is the lack of light so one of the biggest things here is most people nowadays have devices where they're always on the devices and they're constantly in their head waiting and seeing, and watching, and texting, and all this kind of stuff. There are always something there that has a screen. And the screen times have these odd effects on our overall sleep capacity. You know, one of the things that was interesting to me is that the book that I was reading, Brainwash, had mentioned this. And most of the stuff is from Brainwash, if you guys are interested. But it had mentioned a study where they had subjected People to blue light, and blue light is what's coming from the screens you're watching at night and obviously the daytime and all that kind of stuff. So, anything that has a screen is going to be emitting blue light. Um, they had decreased, I'm sorry, increased amygdala activity, which we know is a very bad sign. And they also had increased depressive symptoms just from having blue light too close to the time where it should be bedtime. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to become emotional or impulsive or reactive the next morning. Or have any kind of depressive symptoms the next morning just because I had watched a TV show that I shouldn't have been or because I had, you know, done whatever, texted too late or been on Instagram or social media or whatever the hell I was on too late and then wake up the next morning and feeling like crap. The other thing is if you actually have good sleep, you honestly increase a thing called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. This is a protein that promotes tissue health and growth. And for our society, we think that for some reason things can't change. And in our brain, actually, we're changing daily. We're reconstructing how our brain's physiology is set up. And if we want to have a successful pathway of neural connections, we need to have an increase of BDNF. Super important for us. This is, a again, a protein that's going to help involve in promoting tissue growth and health. And the better sleep we have, the better BDNF flow we have. So sleep is a massive important thing. Some people just take it for granted and take it seriously, but I bet you this, if you did an experiment and you went out and didn't sleep for a day, you'd feel cranky, you'd feel irritable, you'd be having more cravings, and all the studies show this. So please, prioritize sleep. Next is food choices. And I want you to refer to my blog here. My blog that I wrote about sprinting before the marathon, it was titled, directly talks about the food choices we have And it it gives you a little bit short-circuit week that you can try out. And what I mentioned in that blog was basically taking a week and just getting rid of the whole entire gamut of processed, canned, bagged foods. Now, why I say that is because we want to become aware of what actual health feels like. And four food choices are related to higher blood sugar, related to higher weight, related to higher inflammation, related to higher cortisol, higher amygdala activity, which obviously means higher impulsivity. And they're also related to decreased serotonin activity and decreased prefrontal cortex activity. This leads to the catastrophic problems in our brain that don't allow us to enable change. They actually are self-defeating. So our food choices beyond everything are actually the most important. Now, nutrition, we know, obviously, is exactly the key to having fitness. And when we think about this, it's also the key to having mental fitness. So... What I had mentioned in that article was just trying to have for one week, in one week alone, a whole foods diet. Having foods that came out of the ground, that have eyes, foods that are meant for our body to be eaten, foods to be eaten for years. This is a very important thing to do, especially if it's just for a week. We don't want to do this forever. This shouldn't be something you should adhere to only. I should only have whole foods. You don't need to be neurotic about it or crazy about it, but we should experience times where we... Have the awareness of what those other foods are doing to us. Because nowadays, we actually lack the awareness of how the foods interact with our body. We don't know the signs and symptoms that cause and create bigger problems than we actually are realizing. So, when we look at our food choices, we have to have better food choices. We have to have something that's rich in antioxidants, minerals, vitamins, macronutrients, all that important stuff. And the other thing about this food choice is. Is we all know we've, you know, eaten the cake one day and all of a sudden the next day we're like, oh I want I want some cake again. You know, it's one of those things. Again, neurons that fire together, wire together. Your body's getting rewarded by it, it wants to come back for more. So if we do a little bit of a food cleanup, I mean just one week we participate in eating full, whole, natural foods you'll see the difference right away. You'll feel the difference right away. You'll now be able to go back into those other foods with moderation and be able to introduce them and identify how does that make me feel? You know, Do I want to continue to participate in eating that food? Should I limit it to a little bit less? And hopefully that helps you get to a new place of awareness around your food because right now we're not aware. We just think about taste. Food has so many more qualities than that. The energy it provides, the actual feel of the food, after you're done, if you feel heavy, if you feel light, if you feel um, like you are bloated, whatever that may be, um, the effects of the food on your digestion, whether that be you know diarrhea or that be constipation, um, there's a lot that goes on there. But just to review, this is all about the brain. This is Implements to Kickstart the Brain Change Engine. And what we're going to list out is just all of them once more, breath, walking, sleeping, food choices, and getting into nature. Those are simple ways, five tips, to kickstart the brain change engine and to get your amygdala to stop being overactive and to hopefully switch on more of your prefrontal cortex to allow you to have the capacity to change further. I hope this information helps you. Just take these bits of information and try to implement them where you can, starting small. Again, starting small is the most important part. In the next episode, we're going to talk about exactly what the behavior change laws are. And I'm looking forward to seeing you then because you're going to want to pay attention to that information too. But again, stack on small and let's get this tide rolling.